The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Uh, last week, uh, we spent a little bit of time at least looking from John, John's Gospel, chapter 8, concerning a woman caught in the act of adultery. And beautiful, beautiful um, account from Scripture. And I think that story in John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 12, really encapsulates so much of the nature of God and how He is with us, how He deals with humanity, how He helps people. Um, Jesus unlike, you know, perhaps we as humans most of the time, Jesus in different places, you know, all through the scriptures, he could, if necessary, he could identify a person's sin, their missing of the mark that's keeping them in bondage, and do it in a way that did not minister shame, guilt, or condemnation. Because shame, guilt, and condemnation does not help people. There's no advantage to shame, to shaming people, to putting people under guilt, to creating a consciousness of condemnation in, inside of people. It does not help to overcome sin, right? And one of the things we mentioned last week is when we as you know, ministers or just believers in general ministering to people... Um, I, I have found, and, and I think most of us could agree with this just experientially, uh, of course, the fact that it's scriptural is uh, the primary thing, but I have certainly found uh, from experience that con- when you put people under condemnation, all it really does is perpetuate sin habits, sin cycles in people's lives. All right, first Corinthians, don't turn there. I mean, you can if you want, but I'm not. I'm still going to start eventually in 2 Samuel 9. But for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, I believe. Paul says, 56, 58, right around there. Paul says, the strength of sin is, anybody know what he says there? The law, the law of Moses. So the strength of sin, Paul, and that word strength is the Greek word dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite from. Um, it's like in Mark chapter 5, when the woman with the issue of blood, she reached out, touched Jesus' clothing, and then it says that virtue or power came out of him, flowed out of, from him to her, right? And so, same Greek word, uh, dunamis there, means power, explosive power, strength, anything along those lines. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. Again, that word power, Greek word dunamis. So again, same as 1 Corinthians 15.56, where Paul says, the strength of sin is the law. And then in Romans chapter 3, Paul tells us, uh, I think in verse 20, he says, for by the law or through the law, talking about the law of Moses, is 
the knowledge of sin. So the law could diagnose the problem, right? That's your, uh, your uncomfortable MRI there, but it doesn't do anything to help the problem. It's just diagnostic, right? And so the law of Moses has yet helped any believer stop sinning. It's not possible to. So again, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is of the law. So to try to come under a law-based system, and, and that is a system where I try to gain access to God, favor with God, the blessings of God, etc., through my performance instead of the finished work of Jesus, his performance, and his grace on our behalf. Any, you know, you could call it law, you can call it works righteousness, you can call it legalism, call it 101 different things, um, you know, amounting to the same thing there. And so, you know, I was uh, thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 10, powerful scriptures there, where, you know, where Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God. So not through ourselves, not through how great we are, but through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what's a stronghold? Anything that has a stronghold. Wah, wah, wah. But really, that's a good way to think. Anything that has a stronghold on you. And in those verses, Paul is not talking anything about uh, rebuking you know, demons and pulling down demonic you know, strongholds over cities or has nothing to do with what he's talking about. Um, he goes on and tells us, kind of in more depth, kind of what he's talking about there, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he says, and bringing every thought. See, it's, it's our belief system, how we think. These strongholds that get fortified in our thinking and in our belief systems. Pulling those down, pulling every thought captive. And then notice what he says, to the obedience of Christ. So what do we pull these strongholds, these, uh, how would you say it, these thought patterns, these thought systems, what do we pull them down to? Our obedience? No, the obedience of Christ, right? And so in other words, Jesus finished work. Jesus, what he did on our behalf for us, okay? So Jesus, again, with the woman caught in the act of adultery. It says that he was, and this is just a little review here, teaching in the temple, the, the Jewish holy place. They bring in the woman caught in the act of adultery, throw him down, throw her down before Jesus and say, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says, stoner. What do you say? trying to pit Jesus, the one who gave the law, against the law, you know. And so we don't know what he did. We know he wrote down on the temple ground, the stone ground of the temple there, presumably twice. Um, but we know at just the end of the account there that it says that each one of them, starting from the eldest, down, work your way downwards, they dropped their stones, they walked out, 
And then Jesus says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And she says, No man, Lord. And that's a good response. Because all of us have those experiences where Satan, sinner, or saint, somebody, <laughs> that pretty much sums it up because uh, God's not going to do it. So pretty much who's left, sinner, Satan, sinner, or saint, right? Demon or deacon, baby. No one has the right to condemn us. We're uncondemnable. And so Romans chapter 8 tells us, verse 1, there is therefore now, and every time you read that, every time you go to that verse, or every moment when you need to apply that verse, Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now, it's always going to say now. There's therefore now no condemnation. And that word, as we say all the time, condemnation in the Greek means damnatory sentence. There is no guilty verdict or damnatory sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he tells us, he starts to tell us why. For the law, not of Moses, but of the spirit of life. In other words, the new birth. Old covenant, new covenant. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free. Free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. And so on that side, you have law of Moses. And what does it enforce? What does it minister towards? Law of Moses. Law of sin and death. The law of Moses cannot minister the law of righteousness. All right? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that in verse 16 and 17, he said, For in the gospel, in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed to all people, to those who believe. So in other words, the law ministers. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us death and condemnation. So if I'm under death and condemnation, if I'm under condemnation, if I'm under Hebrews 10, the sin consciousness, then I'm, under, I'm in the wrong system here. My, my thoughts, I'm not pulling every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because Satan wants us to get caught up in our own obedience or lack thereof. And I highly encourage obedience, but newsflash, you're not going to get it right every time. Can you dig? So you might want to put your faith, all of us, we might want to put our faith in someone who did and does get it right every time. Hallelujah. That's why we pray, you know, kind of a little humorous, but kind of truthful also. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, not in Jordan's name or Ken's name or whatever name you got, right? We pray in his name because to pray in his name is to pray in accordance with the person the work, and just everything that he is and represents on our behalf, right? So we, you cast out a demon, rebuke a demon, whatever, you do it in Jesus' name because his name has power and authority over the kingdom of darkness, right? And so, I mean, the devil's a nut, man. I mean, he's just an idiot, just a rat with a microphone and condemnation. And, and I think as, as, as Christians, as believers, very often, we have this idea, like you wouldn't necessarily just sit down and write it out this way, but there's this sentiment. It's just sort of in the air. There's this sort of 
understanding to where it's almost like guilt equals holiness somehow. Feeling guilty. But that's, God doesn't want us feeling. Who would want their kids to walk around with their heads down in shame, guilty and condemned and shamed and unworthy feeling all the time? Hopefully nobody, you know. Um, if they do, we could maybe get them some help. Hallelujah. Um, but Jesus, you know, he told the woman after that, where are, woman, where are your accusers? And then she said, no man, Lord. And that's, you know, that's the right answer because no man. In other words, she, she at the height of her sin, no one could condemn her. Not on her best day, on her worst day, no one had the right to condemn her. The only one who could have had the right because he was sinless, because what did Jesus tell them? He who is without sin, you have the right. If you have sin, you don't have this right. But if, you, if you're without sin, you have the right to judge someone who does have sin. So he who's without sin, you cast the first stone at her. Let her rip. And that's when they all dropped their stones. Woman, where are your accusers? She looked up. No man, Lord. And so we want that to be our response. Not just when someone else is condemning us, but most of the time, our worst problems right here between our ears where we're condemning ourselves all the time. And it's so subtle, man. I mean, legalism and condemnation and that unworthiness mentality, all that stuff is so subtle. It, it's, I've, the way I've said it for years is the, the easiest thing to do for a believer, it seems like, is to backslide into legalism. It's just the bent of the flesh to try to do something to bridge the gap between us and God when there is no gap. Jesus eradicated the gap, right? So, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus tore down the dividing wall. And he's talking about, and then he goes kind of for Jew and Gentiles, but then for the Gentiles specifically, he says, You were without, you were lost. You were without hope and without God in the world. I don't know how bad, bad things, you know, things can get, but without hope and without God, it's got to be near the top of the ladder of how bad things can get. You know what I'm saying? And so, but he, Paul goes on to tell us there that Jesus tore down this wall and we who were once strangers far off from God, he brought us near to God. All right. So Jesus has uh, brought us near to Abba, and He's done it all through His own, uh, through His own doing, through His own grace. So, anyways, Jesus, I'm trying to move on here, uh, tells her, "Neither do I condemn you." Oh. And that's always His answer. And this is how Jesus ministers to people regularly. Any of us who are struggling with sin, His answer is always. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because his grace is always sufficient. And that's one of the things uh, we definitely want to understand as believers, that through the new creation, through the new birth, through the new covenant, it's really, it's important to grasp this, that it, well, Romans 8 goes on and tells us that Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus, 
And then he goes on several verses and expounds upon this. But one of the things he tells us is that Jesus, there's no condemnation to us because he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, in humanity, Jesus condemned that which previously condemned us. So he condemned the condemner, if you will. No more, you know. And so um, we are uncondemnable in, in that. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I, you know, of course, your mind all day and every day will pretty much try to tell you otherwise. And so that's why it's important to be established, rock solid established, because we've been so trained into believing this sin management Christianity, so-called, that we actually think that, as I mentioned, for example, we actually think that guilt somehow is a form of holiness or piety or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, And worse than that, we blame the Holy Spirit on all this. We blame the reason I feel so guilty and unworthy and can't come before God and sinful and dirty is supposedly because the Holy Spirit inside of me is convicting me and dealing with me. And he does, he, he's not in the, con, the condemnation business. He, he's, he's in the renovation business. He comes in and that which did want that, that sin within us, he comes in. And it's like a condemned building. You think of it that, you know, a building that's been, it's unfit for use, man. It's condemned. Well, he comes in and condemns that house of sin, that condemnation building, for lack of a better term, on the inside of us. And then he takes up residence within us. As Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, the spirit of truth, the comforter, when he comes, summing it up a little here, he said, Abba, Myself and the Comforter, we will make our abode. We will abide. We will make our dwelling place in you. Hallelujah. So now that place of condemnation is taken out of us and it's been replaced with, for lack of, you know, whatever term, but a place, a spiritual house of righteousness on the inside of us. And righteousness, of course, uh, basically just simply means uh Right standing, of course, that's the best, you know, easy way to understand it. Right standing with God. Um, it, it's a little more than that. You know, it means you have, you can also think of it this way. To be righteous means I've been made right. Because in the Greek, that's what it means. To be what you ought to be. That's the basic definition of it in the Greek. To be what you ought to be, right? And so God has made us what we ought to be. Boy, I've heard a lot of ought to preaching. Whew. Ought to, I can always give you more ought tos. Ought to pray more. Ought to give more. Ought to serve more. Ought to do more. Ought to fast more. Ought to love more. I mean, I, we ought to read the word more. We can give us lots of ought tos. But that's not the new creation model. Right? So now, if I don't ever get to 2 Samuel, I'm never going to get there. You are there. So I'm going to read, you stay in 2 Samuel 9. I just want to read a verse to you here from 2 Samuel 4, 4, very quickly. Not really much in it. Just want to introduce this to us today. 2 Samuel 4, 4, just to introduce this. It says, now Jonathan, Saul's son. So King Saul, the first king of Israel. So he's talking about. 
Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a crippled, uh, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was? Now, bless it, why? I swear it's the technology demons. All right. If you could see that. If you're on the second row and you can see that. But the rest of you will pray that something happens. His name was Mephibosheth. Woo! Now that right there should cause us all to do a little charismatic two-step because your name's not Mephibosheth. Hallelujah. Or you can just do a full-blown Jericho. I mean, we can run around laps around the chairs. I don't care. You know, but every now and then, you just got to lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Mama, Daddy. My name's not Mephibosheth. I can't even hardly say it without being, it's like you're going to accidentally cuss. You know what I mean? It's Mephibosheth. What? You know, I don't know. But Mephibosheth, it's just one of those words, right? Hallelujah. And if you care, and I'm certain you do, Mephibosheth means, literally, Hebrew, extermination of idols. So, I like the meaning of the name more than I like the name. But whatever. I'm sure at that day it was just a glorious, wonderful name. Just like, oh, I don't know, Jordan is today. Yeah! <laughs> Your name's Jordan? What? So that's where he gets introduced here. And now I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel 9. But you think, I mean, just think about from the offset. And I think we, you know, in some ways we can all relate to Mephibosheth. Be one of those days. It's just going to be one of those days, I think. Gonna what? <laughs> yeah, probably. It's one of those, you gotta work on it a little while before you talk about it publicly. It take, Somebody somewhere is gonna see my name's, my grandson's name is. What's that? Your middle name? Your middle name's Mephibosheth? Wow! Who would have thought? So, but just from the onset, you think about, um, and, and I, you know, we can extrapolate it, and we can all relate to Mephibosheth, and he's being cared for by someone else, who it doesn't really give us all the details, but just says that she dropped him, and somehow or another he became lame, as it says in both feet. So this is a guy who is royalty by blood and by, by lineage. And yet through no fault of his own, through no wrongdoing of his own, he's made, you know, whatever word you want to use, disabled, 
And you think about us. And I think this story, as we're going to read here from 2 Samuel 9 with Mephibosheth and David, really is a sort of microcosm of the human condition and really like a little small, you know, encapsulated story that really contains the gospel story within it in many ways. And so, you know, he's hindered, he's uh, injured, he's whatever word you want to use, through no doing of his own. And you think about us as humans. We are thrust, plunged, whatever, into this human condition of sinfulness, not because of our own doing. You know, I, I, can't, I can't imagine how many times Mephibosheth thought, man, never had a chance. I mean, it's one thing if I would have done this to myself even. But someone else who's supposed to be caring for me did this to me, you know? And so all of us get hurt through, of course, through our own doing, but very often through other people's doings to us. And just as in his case, through someone that was supposed to be protecting, providing, loving, etc. And, and in that case, that was someone who cared. You know, sometimes people can hurt you without even knowing it or meaning to. I mean, we all have dealt with Those people. <laughs> You'll even find one in church now and then. Not this church. <laughs> Say amen, because that's you. There you go. That's right. Who, you know, those Christians who, you know, the, the Christians that you're going to see in heaven, you're going to be like, oh, wow. You're here. Cool. I, 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 okay. All right. You were on the list. Oh, well, praise God. You know, like. Didn't think we'd be meeting again. How are you doing? You know, well, you know, those Christians, which somebody thinks that about you. So, you know, what can you say? Um, so, let me just make myself read these verses here. 2 Samuel 9, starting in verse 1. And uh, it's a very short chapter. We're just going to kind of skim through it, kind of hit some highlight points and uh, that kind of thing. So... <clears throat> says, uh, then David said, 2 Samuel 9, 1, then David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, Jonathan, David, you could read 1 Samuel. Uh, they were, what we, you know, bosom buddies. They were tight. And even though Saul hated David, um, Jonathan and David loved each other uh, deeply as if they were brothers. And even though Saul tried, wanted to, and tried to kill David on multiple occasions, literally, uh, his son Jonathan was best friends with David. And so David and Jonathan made a covenant with one another one time um, towards the, to where they would show their covenant love to each other um, in perpetuity, you know, even going forward, not just towards each other, in other words, but even towards their lineage, in other words. And so you have David here reflecting on his covenant that he made with Jonathan. And he says, again, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Think about that. Is there any, you could say it this way, is there anyone left in the house of my enemy? And see, that's just like God. 
blessing his enemies. And you think about Luke chapter 6, where Jesus tells us, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you, you know, give to those who ask, and all the, you know, all the things he says there in Luke chapter 6. And then he tells us, for you know, being merciful like this, you will be as your father, for he's merciful to the unkind, to the unthankful, and to the evil. And so it's just like God. And so, and the name David means beloved, right? And so this, you can look at it, our beloved is looking for someone to show kindness to, right? I think, how, you know, how often God must want to reveal and manifest his goodness, his glory, his, his blessings to us if we could just believe that he's the kind of God who does those things, right? And so David, again, is looking for someone, going out of his way to find someone to show covenant kindness and blessing to. Verse 2 says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Hallelujah. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. The king said, verse 3, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machir, uh, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Verse 6, Mephibosheth. So he goes and gets him, and here he comes. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated and, and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. So if you just think about, you know, here in, we've never lived, or I assume none of us here, I don't know. I, I know in the States, you know, we're not a kingdom. And I, I, I assume none of you have ever, you might here ever lived in a kingdom. Anybody here lived in, what, Bahamas or Japan lately? I don't know how many, what else is a kingdom, but I'm sure there's some more out there. But um, when the king, if you're a nobody, seemingly, if you're a crippled, forgotten about kind of outcast kind of a person, because he's a crippled, so you think about in Judaism, in Jewish thought, especially during biblical times, to be sick was to, to be barren, to be sick, to be anything like that was thought to be directly under the curse of God because of your sin. Hallelujah. Pretty much like we charismatics are today. Oh, you want God to heal you? Oh, you're not healed? You must have sin. I can smell it on you. Hallelujah. You know, and so, just like in John's gospel, it says there was a man who was blind from birth. Powerful story. John chapter 9. He was blind from birth. And they said to Jesus, Lord, who sinned so that this man was born blind? And again, as I point out, you think about how sick that is. He was born blind. How could he have sinned? Kick too hard in the womb? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you even come to such a sick conclusion. But that's what legalism does. That's what sin consciousness does. It's always looking for something about you that disqualifies you from the goodness and blessings of God. 
And you can always find something. You know, this search your heart for sin, I wouldn't recommend it because you're always going to find some imperfections in there. So instead of looking to those things, how about we look to our true identity, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? And so we want to look to Jesus who has been made unto us, 1 Corinthians 1.30, who has been made unto us righteousness and holiness. Jesus is our right standing. He is our rights and privileges. To be righteous means you also you have rights and privileges. And so Jesus is that which is right about us. He is that which is uncondemnable about us. You understand? And so may we not look to ourselves, but look to the one within us. But he's called in here, you know, to the king. And naturally, I mean, I don't know if, if they had adult diapers then. Who let this guy in here today anyways? But I bet he was scared. I heard Lynn Hiles say one time, somebody said, Brother Hiles, you wear those adult diapers yet? Eh, depends. Preachers got them. I can't even jokingly say preachers got the best jokes. Dad jokes and preacher jokes. They don't get much better or much worse. And all of God's people said. <laughs> so David said to him, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Because naturally, you're being dragged up to the palace. I mean, your heart's going to be up in your throat a little bit, you know? David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So just stopping right there in the middle of the verse, if you think about that, um, you know, all through the Old Testament, you'll find places where the prophets and, and the different people of God and where they would very often call on the Lord, excuse me while I dabble around here, they would um, call on the Lord and very often they would call on the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. Now why would they do that? Because to call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was synonymous with calling on the covenant that he made where he promised to show everlasting covenant mercies to Abraham and to all his descendants. Amen? Which, newsflash, we are the, the ultimate, Jesus is, but us through him, we are the ultimate fulfillment of that, okay? So, this should remind us too of in and, and I've been saying this in different ways but for us and, and this is something I point out all the time but I think it's worth it's ever worth repeating uh, there's one new covenant right so there's not going to be a newer covenant someday or a different covenant one day or a revised new covenant one day uh, we are currently in the new covenant and Hebrews chapter 13 actually calls it 
the new and everlasting or eternal covenant. So the new covenant has no end. There's not something better coming down. We got the best because we got King Jesus in his fullness already here and now. So we don't need better, right? To have better would be like saying God can improve upon Jesus. And so certainly we're not, uh, we don't think that way. So he says here again in verse 7, show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather and you shall regularly eat at my table. Well, that's pretty good. So those are uh, blessings there. And, and I want to mention this and point this out. And I've been speaking to this in different ways already, but uh, Romans chapter 8 is a place where you can see some of this. But, the, but the, Romans chapters 6 through 8 really uh, expound upon this, I guess. Um, one of the things that's so beautiful about the new covenant, about being born again, having eternal life, whatever you want to call it, um, and one of the things about the, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, is this reality that just like Jesus tells the woman, neither do I condemn you. Therefore, go, and, and accurate translations point out that singular, commit this sin no more, right? And so the, the beautiful thing in being born again is that the Lord has not only uh, set us free from the power of uh, the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin, and that's incredible to me. And so it's important to real there 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 is you know that people can, you can get too tore up about it either way. Um, there's one place where Paul kind of referred to himself as. Uh, being, you know, a sinner worse than all the other sinners, but but, and it's okay to to in a generic sense, in a general sense, to, you know, you don't have people get so tore up about any one little thing. You don't have to get all, you know, um, hung up on every little thing. I don't generally refer to myself as a sinner, right? Because you know, like there's a saying, and it's fine. I would say it's good. You know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But there is a better understanding that I was a sinner and I was saved by grace. But now I'm a righteous new creation, a son, a child, a daughter of the living God in Christ Jesus. So you don't have to get tore up and start a fist fight over, bless God, I'm not a sinner. I'm just saying. But we understand, of course, that as born-again people, Jesus has first and foremost, liberated us from the penalty of sin. And really, that's, you, if you, if you, you, know, you could say that's mercy. In his mercy, sin, 2 Corinthians 5, is not imputed, counted up, in other words, in the Greek, to, to make an itemized account. It's not counted up and held against us. Thank God for that. But thank God. And if that is all it was, so to say, all it was, that would be incredible. That would be glorious. That would be enough to praise God for all eternity. 
But thank God there is more, that we have been liberated furthermore also from sin's dominion, from the power that sin once held over us. And you can read about it in Romans chapter 7, where Paul is describing the dilemma of the Jewish people before the, the cross, before the finished work of Jesus. And or Paul says, just kind of summing it all up there, Romans chapter 7, incredible stuff. Paul says that, Romans 7, he says, you know, kind of like Paul's tape. He said, now I speak to them who know the law. So he's talking to the Jewish people in the, in the audience there, the recipients of that letter. And he, and he goes on and explains how, well, just to put it in, you know, in Paul's own words, he said, with my mind, I want to serve God. Amen. He says, but even though I want to use my members as member, my body, as members of godliness, he said, I find that there, there's something else going on here, uh, basically. He said, there's something else in my members that he calls sin. He said, so with my mind, I want to serve God. I aspired to keep the Ten Commandments because that's what he uses as an example there, the Ten Commandments. He said, but when the commandment came, now this is Paul, this isn't some TV preacher we don't like. Paul said, when the commandment, talking about the Ten Commandments, when the commandment came, sin revived within me. And just summing it up, held me in bondage. So Paul works through Romans chapter 7, giving the dilemma of the Jewish people under the law before the cross. They, they, they could see the, the, the finish line. They could see, you know, we got the Olympics. They could see the stands there, the gold medal, the bronze, you know, something here. But as soon as I tried, there was another power at work within me, condemning me to this sin and to this death. And man, I've been there. I can remember before I met the Lord at 19, for, you know, I can remember what it was like to want to be free from shooting up dope, from wanting to not be in bondage, you know, to uh, those types of things. I desperately wanted freedom. I desperately wanted to change. I desperately wanted to stop. With my mind, I wanted to serve God. But I did find there was another power at work within me that would condemn me when I tried to attain to life itself on my own. But Paul goes on and, and just explains there at the end of chapter 7. Um, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And then he goes on and answers his question. He says, I thank God for Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he goes, there's therefore now in the new birth, in the new covenant, in the new creation. Now, there is no law of sin and death condemning me to a life of sin. For the law of the spirit of life, that new birth in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin. See, it is a law. It's not something you can just change because you want to. <laughs> you know, it's a law of sin and death. Conversely, 
There is a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus on the inside of us. And that's why we don't have to condemn people and give people sin management programs. That's why if we feed and nourish people on the gospel, the gospel itself will supply the power to liberate people from the bondages of sin that hold us captive all too often. Are you out there? All right. I got to move on here. I'm trying to first closing here. Verse, verse uh, 7, as, as David tells, tells him here, he says, But for the sake of your father Jonathan... So in other words, he brings him in. He's not just going to not kill him, which he must have been scared out of his wits for that. But not only am I not going to off with his head, but I'm actually going to bless you, you know. And that's mercy and grace. In mercy, we're forgiven. But it's more than that. In God's grace... He's bestowed eternal life and covenant blessings upon us. So thank God for pardon, but it's not just pardon. There's much more than that, okay? So he says, um, I'll restore the land of your grandfather Saul to you, and you will eat at the king's table, my table, regularly. Verse 8 says again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant? that you should regard a dead dog like me. And see, that's that kind of, again, that, that's a little microcosm. That encapsulates the gospel. Here we are, a bunch of dead dogs, <laughs> and we got the God of the universe wanting to show covenant kindness to us. You know? But he had, there was something about him that he didn't know. You know? He didn't realize there was this covenant. There was this covenant mercy, this covenant kindness that belonged to him. Well, it belongs to all of humanity through Jesus. It's our job to let them know, right? The gospel isn't a proposition of what you can do to get God's favor or get right with God. It's what God has done all by himself to bestow his favor upon you already. And will you just say yes to it, you know? Now, um, verse 9 it says, Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. Verse 10, You, you and your, talking to uh, Ziba here, You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have bre- uh, food. Nevertheless, uh, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now, Ziba had 15 sons. Good. God, hallelujah. Help him, Lord. And 20 servants. Man, I, I don't know if... As a matter of fact, here on Sinner, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's how they... Yeah. It's easy to have 15 kids if you got 20 servants. You know, I don't know if easy's the word, but yeah, that's right. Sons, who, who knows about... How many pretty little uh, daughters were running around? I, I was just uh, recently reading some stuff about, you know, here on uh, Center Street, we have St. Catherine of Siena Church of Port. St. Catherine of Siena, she was like, I forget, she was like child 26 of 27 or something like that. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Somebody could Google that. I may be wrong. I think that's, I, I'm pretty sure that's at, more or less accurate. You know, I don't want to speak 
you know, in fishermen, you know, or evangelistically speaking, you know, like a thousand people got saved when only 500 people came. But hey, you know, whatever, you know. And, and while we're waiting on fact checkers and verif uh, verif verifications there, uh, I am trying to wrap up here. Um, if you need to go, uh, by all means, but um, just I am wrapping up. Verse 11. Uh, 20, oh, she was the youngest? Oh, 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 so that would make, okay, so still, 25, yeah. Only 25. I can't, like, and they, you know, you always hear about how life rate, you know, uh, there, there was such a higher death rate for just, you know, babies and, and all. And I think, what about the moms? <laughs> like, Mike, they, they were doing the, I, I would say after like child eight, nine, ten, you're doing like Elijah in when he's running from Ahab and Jezebel, praying for God to take you now. You know, I don't know how, I just can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. Just another reason that I thank God, I think Carol, Kara will be doing some, terribly awful thing that women have to do and I thank God I'm a man you know Pl pluck an eyebrow here shave a leg there makeup on makeup off day in day out I mean just all the stuff there and and that's just that's just to get up and get the day going that's not that's not even the real where you get your hands dirty stuff you know you got to raise kids you got to raise a husband I mean it's give birth it's it's quite the situation here Yeah. I mean, I can just see God like, okay. Look, I made him in a state of perfection. What more could I have done? But I can tell right now, it is not good for man to be alone. We got to help this joker because he's going to be in there, you know. Can you see Adam? He probably He's probably looking in there in the lion's mouth and like, you know, I, I just can't, you know, we got to help this guy. Yeah. It's all, it was all, yeah. Not a good situation. Now, um, verse 12 here says, 11 says, thank you, takes a village to raise a pastor. says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth, notice that, ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. That is incredible. And I incredible. And I think about us and you think think about all through scripture. Um scripture is often, you know, admonishes us in, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. So there's that that language is used in scripture. You think about Psalm 23, which really correlates to this portion of scripture about where the Lord will make a table before us. Then you think about uh, the new covenant language of the marriage supper of the lamb. Then we think about Passover and how, again, eating a covenant meal, eating, you know, it, so often eating is used either in, in understanding or even in a literal sense, if it's like Holy Communion or something like that. But how often that's used in scripture and Mephibosheth, as it tells us here, he had his own food that the 15 sons and the 20 servants worked and provided for him. But, for, you know, more or less, it looks like here, pretty much any time he wanted to, he could also, if that wasn't good enough for him, hallelujah, 
he could go and eat at the king's table as one of his sons. And so that's, that's amazing. But you think about it for us, how much better it is because we eat at Abba's table, not as one of his sons or daughters, you know, Mephibosheth as one of the sons, but he wasn't a son. We have been made Abba's children, Abba's sons and daughters. And so Mephibosheth, if he wanted to, could go and eat at the king's table. But if he didn't, that was okay. They were going to eat regardless. But for us, we don't just have a spot if we want it at Abba's table. He is not going to let, don't, don't you take a bite till they're all here. In other words, you, you can even think about the prodigal son. In other words, you, you don't just have a place there, you belong there. You're supposed to be there. You are Abba's child. Amen? And so we belong at the master's table. And he has made a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And our cup, he fills our cup. And it does overflow, Psalm 23 here, overflow with his covenant blessings. And so let me just wrap up these last two verses here and we'll close. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate at the king's table regularly and he was lame in both feet. So, you know, you think about Psalm 23 and David sums up the psalm when he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and in this chapter here, like in verse 1, you can see where David says, is there anyone yet to show kindness to? That word kindness, and he uses it two or three times in this chapter, that's the same Hebrew word as in uh, Psalm chapter 23, when he says, surely goodness and mercy. So it's the same Hebrew word. We've talked about it some, chesed. I know I don't speak proper Hebrew, but just in my butchered Americanized version, chesed. And it, it's just a word. It's it's. Often it's translated mercy or mercies, kindness, favor. Um, very often it's translated as loving kindness because it's such a rich, powerful word. And they just made it a compound word. His love, his kindness, but it needs all of it to really get the point across. Loving kindness. And so it's the covenant word. It, it, it was un, like we understand grace as kind of the covenant word that sums up the blessings of God given to us freely in Christ, right? It's this new covenant of God's grace. Similarly, Hased was, you know, more or less, you could say the same thing kind of um, in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew understanding. And so, as he says there, surely goodness and, you could say it this way, covenant kindness, covenant faithfulness and mercy will be shown to me, shown to us all the days of our life. But notice here, David sought someone out, like a heat-seeking missile, you know? Can't get away from it. Well, there's, there's a, uh, a bullseye on us. And God is ever sending heaven's best in, in our direction. And the better translation there in Psalm 23 is surely goodness and 
this covenant kindness will, it says, follow after me. In the Hebrew, it's very clear, will pursue me all the days of my life. A lot of times we're trying to chase after the blessings of God. And God's just trying to get us to open our eyes, spiritual eyes, faith eyes, and realize he's chasing after us with his blessings. Amen? The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.